welcome to this niche audio cast. I'm Angela Brown, manager of B2B brand strategy, and today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen to it on the go. You can find all of the resources that are mentioned here in the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Okay, it is exactly 2 p.m. Eastern, and there is a lot of content that we have to get through. And since I want to make sure that we have time for questions at the end, I'm going to go ahead and get started with an intro and a bit of housekeeping. Um, so again, welcome. If you haven't joined us for a webinar before, I'm Angela Brown. I am the manager of B2B brand strategy at Niche. And I'm excited to dig into the insights from our 2023 State of Enrollment Marketing Survey. I do want to add a disclaimer that I was originally planning to cover budgeting in this webinar, but there's so much to get through that we're going to focus on staffing, enrollment priorities, and tactics. And then we'll jump into audience questions. But if you haven't had a chance to take a look at the full survey write-ups, there's lots of good budgeting info for you in there. So let's hop to it. Before we jump into the content, a bit of housekeeping per usual, if you've joined us before, this webinar is being recorded and the recording will be sent to you around midday tomorrow, if not earlier. The podcast version will also be available in the Enrollment Insights podcast feed. At the end of the session, I will answer questions that were submitted during registration first and then get to questions that come in live during the webinar. You can go ahead and ask those using the GoToWebinar panel that should be on the right side of your screen. And then finally, if you have specific questions about grades, rankings, your niche profile, your niche account, connect with me offline. My email address will be at the end um, of the presentation. You can also just reply to the email that you received tomorrow with the recordings, and I'm happy to take those offline with you. But for the purposes of this session, we're going to stay focused on the survey. So here's a quick overview of where the numbers came from. This was the third year that we conducted this survey. We had 764 responses, 541 of which were from private and independent schools, 223 were from traditional public school districts, charter schools, and online public schools. And the survey ran at the end of the summer from July 31st to August 21st. And similar to our parent survey, if you joined us for that, I want to start with some overall observations and themes that we're going to cover, and this will essentially serve as the agenda for today. So first, we are seeing that K-12 schools are continuing to invest in their enrollment and marketing teams, which is great news, but there's still some big differences actually this year between segments when it comes to turnover, so we'll take a look at that in a little bit. When we looked at enrollment priorities, private and independent schools are most focused on retention, while districts, charters, and online public schools are more focused on increasing enrollment. And then student and parent experience is something that's starting to bubble up more as an enrollment priority, um, mainly in the private school sector. But you'll see as we keep going, it's in the mix for districts and other publics as well. We're also seeing that schools are continuing to lean into print quite a bit, even though our parent survey shows that it's not super helpful when it comes to driving enrollment. So we'll take a look at that later in the presentation. And one observation that we made this year is that there are some pretty significant differences in digital marketing use between segments. And so schools are definitely getting out there and using some digital marketing tactics, but there are some gaps when you look at adoption between private and independent schools and public schools. So we'll look at that in a little bit. 
starting with staffing. So this slide shows a comparison for private and independent schools between admission and marketing headcounts. We're seeing that marketing resources are catching up with admissions, which is great news, but there's still some room to grow, as you can see here. So in the past, we've asked about headcounts for both of the functions, and this year we switched it up a little bit. We wanted to see exactly how things looked when you compare them directly. Historically, um, and you may have experienced this yourself, there has been some tension when it comes to how admissions and fundraising offices are staffed compared to marketing and communications offices. And so we thought it would be interesting, um, we don't really do any work around fundraising, but to line up admissions and marketing communications so you can see what those differences look like at this point in time. So the good news is that these numbers are improving um, on the marketing and communication side compared to previous years. But as you can see here, we've still got a little bit of a ways to go when it comes to how those offices are resourced. And then when we look across segments, and I'm gonna do as a warning a lot of slide reading because of the audio only version of this, so we, we wouldn't do that normally, but if you're wondering why is this woman reading from the slides, that's why. We wanna make sure that the folks who don't have the visual can still get a sense of what we're covering. So looking at private schools first, we, we saw some small decreases across the board, um, but interestingly in the public school sector, we saw a nice jump in marketing communication staff in the last year, mostly communication, since that tends to be the core function there. So private schools, we had 21% that said they increased their enrollment staff in the last year, that's down just one percentage point from 2022. 22% increased their Marcom staff, that's down two percentage points from 2022. On the district's online public schools and charter school side, 16% increase their enrollment staff. That does tend to look very differently in that sector um, than it does in private and independent schools, but that was down three percentage points year over year. And then 26% increase their marketing and communication staff, and that was a three percentage point increase from 2022. But, and this was a big caveat in 2022 as well, we did see some pretty big differences when it comes to turnover. And so turnover increased for everyone, at least based on this survey, um, both on the enrollment side and the marketing communication side, but we saw the biggest swings um, among public schools. So for private schools, 28% said that enrollment staff turnover had been a challenge in the last year. That's up one percentage point from last year. 29% um, said marketing communication staff turnover had been a challenge in the last year. That's up five percentage points from 2022. And then on the public school side, 45% said that enrollment staff turnover had been a challenge in the last year. That's up 17% from 2022. And 33% said that marketing communication staff turnover had been an issue. And that was up 12 percentage points from 2022. So we're gonna have a nice handy to-do list for you at the end of every section. And if you watched this webinar readout last year, you're going to see a lot of these tips are very similar from before because we saw this turnover challenge last year as well when we introduced the question. So if you are a senior leader who manages enrollment or communications professionals, especially in a district or other public school setting, since that's where we saw the biggest challenge this year, for one, you wanna make sure that you're keeping an eye out for burnout. That's something that continues to be an issue. So watch for that, make sure that you're taking care of people who are feeling it, including yourself. 
investing in onboarding training and ongoing PD is something I can't emphasize enough, especially at a time where we're seeing a lot of discussion and rapid change around things like generative AI and its role in education. Um, we did get a question about that during registration, and that would warrant its own separate <laughs> session, but it is something we plan to add to the survey next year so we can get a sense of what competencies look like and, and how um, different schools are using it. But for now, make sure that you're giving people opportunities to stay on top of their game. Um, in addition to balancing that with the day-to-day the -day things that they're already worried about. If your school or your district or network does formal performance evaluations, I want to congratulate you because that is not typical. If you're not doing it, I would really poke at that. They're so important for so many reasons, um, but mostly people need to know how they're doing and have space for conversations around goal setting and growth. And it also gives you an opportunity to recognize your high performer. So you wanna make sure that you're taking that time. If you have an institution with an HR function, that is definitely something that I would advocate for. To that point, make sure that you have ongoing opportunities for open dialogue and feedback with your direct reports. If you don't have direct reports, I would advocate for having those opportunities with your supervisor. So they don't have to wait a year to have those conversations. You don't have to wait a year to have those conversations. One-on-ones are great opportunities to do that. I would definitely make sure that you're having those regularly so that you can have those opportunities for continuous feedback. Transparency around institutional goals is another really important factor here. People need to know what they're working toward, but unfortunately goal setting is not something that we're always good at in schools. And so um, if that is, is not something that you, you have the gift of having, that's not uncommon. But if you are part of a leadership team that is in a regular habit of doing that level of goal setting, make sure that everyone is aligned on what those goals are and the roles that they play in them. Celebrating wins, very important, I think, especially in marketing roles, school PR roles, admissions roles, there's a lot of just constant grinding and focusing on the next task, but it's really important to make sure that you take those opportunities to stop, take a beat, and celebrate wins so that everybody can feel good about their successes and not just focus on new things to add to the to-do list. Um, one thing that I really want to push with leaders as well is to think about unintentional messages that you're sending about work-life balance based on what you're doing. And so we know that leadership roles have a tendency to come with long hours, there's a lot of sacrifices, but if you're not taking care of yourself and you're sending emails in the middle of the night, you might be sending some signals to your team that you expect them to do the same thing. So this is an opportunity, we're going into the holidays to have some reflection, not just on how you're going to take care of yourself, but the kind of behavior that might be unintentionally modeling some not so great things to your direct reports. And finally, again, if you have an HR function at your institution, I would advocate for surveying departing employees. This is not something that, I think this happens a little bit more on the public school side because there are a lot more structures and processes in place, but it's not necessarily as thoroughly considered on the private or independent school side. And it's, it's critical because if you're not able to hold on to someone 
it's really important to understand why that is so that you can uncover larger issues that might be bubbling up to the surface and have some an intentional focus on retaining employees and not just students. I think that we can be pretty good about surveying our families, but we, we don't talk to our employees enough, and that's really, really critical. If you are not in a leadership role, but you're one of the employees who is overwhelmed and burned out, make sure that you are being open and transparent about how you're feeling and what you're dealing with. I know that that can be hard. Having those conversations is really tough, but it's important. And I think that you'd be surprised by the feedback that you get if you choose to broach that topic with your supervisor. So next we're gonna switch gears and get into 2023-24 enrollment priorities. This is always an interesting thing to look at. This was a new question that we asked about last year and we repeated it again as we probably will in perpetuity because we wanna see how this shifts year over year. And so starting with our independent school friends again, we see here that the biggest priorities coming into this school year were increased retention, increasing overall enrollment, and then student and parent experience, which was in the bottom half last year and then kind of leaped to the top. I think this is because that focus on retention is helping schools to recognize that those two things are very closely aligned. And so I love to see it. I think it's something that's really important. If, if you've heard me talk before, you know that I am a customer experience zealot. And so <laughs> happy to see that rising to the top among private and independent schools, especially if you charge tuition, that adding that continuous value is something that you really need to be aware of. And then here when we look at enrollment priorities for public school districts, online publics and charters, we see some very similar priorities with the order slightly shifted. Um, starting from the top, we see increasing enrollment is the top priority. That's not a surprise. Um, as well as retaining current families. And then we see below that two factors that contribute to that directly, improving and streamlining communication, and then student and parent, student and family experience. So it's not quite as high on the list as it is in the private and independent school sector, but we know that having strong communications is a really big part of the family experience. And that's something that we saw come out loud and clear actually in the open-ended um, responses to our parent survey this year. That was something that came through over and over again when we asked families why they left their previous school. Lack of communication, challenges with communications. We call that out in the blog post for that, so definitely take a look at that, but that was a recurring theme. And since retention was such an important factor across school categories, I thought I would pull this slide from our parent survey that launched last month to show why parents told us that they left their previous schools, because I really believe that why parents leave and why they stay are pretty connected. Um, so academic concerns were far and away ahead of everything else. Um, but then we had athletic opportunities, another local school earning a higher ranking, and a negative experience with a teacher or administrator, um, all sort of equally ranked. And so these are just things to think about in terms of, you know, what you're focusing on, the academic concern piece. When I layer that over the communication piece that parents mentioned, I think that's just an opportunity for um, schools to be really clear about what they're offering, what they're doing for students who may have learning differences, how are accommodations being met. You know, those are actually some of the things that bubbled up in the parent survey. So just being really, really clear about those things is critical. 
And we'll dig into this more in our to-do list for this section. So communicate, communicate, communicate. This is not to say that you should overwhelm your parents with communications. I know that that is a really big topic of discussion among schools is how many emails, texts, et cetera, are too many. But what I do mean is that you want to be clear and you want to be consistent. And this is important for current families and prospective families. You don't want to leave them wondering, surprised, or filling in gaps on their own. We know that can be really problematic, so we really want to avoid that. The second one is really important, thinking about ways that you might be unintentionally distancing your school or your district from families. So this is something I talked about in a recent podcast episode uh, with Julie Falstick from Stony Creek Strategies. And this could include everything from how a private school directs families to schedule a tour or submit an inquiry to how easy it is or difficult for a parent to find information about enrollment or a staff member at a public school. But you really have to audit the different ways that parents and guardians are interacting with you to make sure that you're not creating unintentional barriers between parents and your institution. That's a big, big no-no and customer service 101. Using the right channels at the right time, you will hear us talk a lot at Niche about meeting families where they are, and this is why I keep calling back to the parent survey. We actually made an intentional decision to switch the order of these surveys so that we could do some retroactive comparison between what schools told us they were doing and what parents told us they wanted. Um, and so there's some great info in that survey about how to engage prospective families in different funnel stages. I would strongly encourage you to think about your marketing through that lens because it takes us out of the should I be using, you know, old school marketing versus digital marketing to what do parents need from me? when they're first searching for a school, when they're comparing schools, when they're going to events and trying to figure out, you know, which one's the right fit all the way through when the time comes for them to sign a contract or to turn in their registration paperwork. It's really helpful to think about things through that lens instead of just putting things into yes or no buckets because they really do respond to different things at different times. Your teachers and faculty are on the front lines of shaping your parent experience, and they need to not only know that, but embrace that. So we actually have a podcast that just launched this week, I believe, um, with the Discovery School K-8 in Florida. They have done a really great job using a book by the Disney Institute to really create and cultivate a culture of customer service at their school. There are lots of great tips in that podcast episode. I will link to it in the notes for the webinar archive page for this, but, and then you don't have to be an independent school to apply those things. There are some really great tips for getting faculty, teachers, whatever you call them at your institution on board, that's a common question, and just making that part of the culture, including having some shorthand internally around what it means to really deliver a high level of service to your families. Finally, creating ongoing opportunities for formal and informal feedback from your community and tell them what you're going to do with it. So one of the things we talk about in the podcast episode is the Discovery School's use of surveys to get constant feedback from families, but there are also lots of opportunities to do that anecdotally. But when you ask a parent or a caregiver to complete a survey or student or anyone, Make sure you tell them what you're going to do with it and when so they know that it's a good use of their time. Um, and once the you, you've gathered the survey data and 
um, done the analysis and aligned as a leadership team about what next steps are going to be. Be clear about that as well. Um, but you don't know if you don't ask. And you want to make sure that you're evolving your institution, your practices, your policies with your community's needs. So now we're going to dig into traditional marketing tactics, then we'll jump to digital, and then we will tackle questions. So this is where things continue to get interesting. We're going to start looking at um, what schools tell us they're doing. We're also going to look at how those schools' um, tactics align with what parents told us they actually respond to or don't. Starting with our private and independent schools again. So as we have every year of this survey, we asked about both traditional versus digital marketing tactics. We asked what people are using, what they're planning to increase their investment in, what they're reducing their investment in, what their budgets look like. Um, I actually think we're going to play with those budgeting numbers a little bit for the 2024 version. But here it's interesting to see that print ads and local publications continue to rank so highly. I do know that in some markets, those do work for some folks. From what I have been told anecdotally. I don't actually know what that means because I know that you cannot measure these, but <laughs> we, we see quite a bit of use of, of these tactics. Um, but the good news is when you look at traditional marketing tactic use among private and independent schools and digital marketing tactic use among private and independent schools, there actually aren't massive gaps, which is encouraging. Um, the one thing that I would flag here though is what is the best use of your budget, right? Knowing that none of, no one has an unlimited budget, so you have to be really thoughtful about stewarding that. Um, what is also interesting about this particular segment is that in the open-ended responses, we heard from a lot of private and independent school respondents who said they know that many of these things don't work. And so there's an interesting tension when it comes to what people are using and what they know intellectually to be effective. My hypothesis about that, based on my own previous experience and just in talking to folks in the industry, is that some of that pressure may come from other parts of your institution and that might be shaping the tactics that you're using. Um, so we'll, we'll get into what you can do about that in a little bit. And great news, we're working on a blog post that's going to launch after the holiday that talks about how you can make the case for increasing your digital marketing budget and scaling back on some of these things that may not be moving the needle for you as much. So then we look at public schools and we see very similar usage patterns with some slight variation in order. But when we refer back to how parents told us they first discovered the schools and districts, the educational communities that they considered, we didn't see any of those channels on the list. And that is where I think it's important to call back to looking at what you need to use at different stages of the funnel, right? And so this is not to say that traditional marketing tactics don't matter and that you shouldn't use them at all. Things like community partnerships and ambassadors that we put into that bucket, for example, absolutely phenomenal word of mouth drivers. And that is dead center we see in the ways that for the 80% of parents who don't already have a list of schools in mind, that's one of the ways that they're discovering the schools, the districts, the educational communities that they're considering. But in general, you know, you want to think about what you're using, when, and for what purpose. And so if you think about typical awareness level channels like 
radio ads and billboards, you know, some of the things that we, we debate in the industry all the time, those are things that tend to rank very low on the list when we survey parents across the board at every stage. So that's something to keep in mind. Those are not inexpensive tactics. And so those are the types of things that you're going to want to think about when you're shaping your budget to the extent that you have the ability to do that. And so here we look at communications channels that influence enrollment. So we're moving down to the bottom of the funnel with this one. And with the exception of brochures and view books and on-campus experiences, again, these are digital channels. And these are all things that we saw increase in influence year over year. So again, as you're thinking about what your mix looks like from a new family recruitment standpoint going into the next year, this is a good place to start. Meanwhile, we see a very interesting picture <laughs> we look at what the different school segments are planning to increase their investments in this year. Unfortunately, yes, we do have a digital um, equivalent to this that we will get to, um, but starting with private and independent schools, we are on the right track here where we're seeing plans for increased investment in things that we know move the needle. So as I mentioned earlier, community partnerships, parent ambassadors, Great word of mouth drivers, spot on. Please continue to lean into those items. Um, brochures and view books are not a huge driver in the awareness and engagement stages. So not huge at the top or middle of the funnel, but when it comes to influencing enrollment, spot on to have in the mix. So this, this feels very right. And then when we look at public schools, it's a little bit more mixed. So what we're seeing here is the top investment in community partnerships, which is great. Direct mail and print ads, I would poke at a little bit more just to see how those things are being used. You know, districts are very different in that you have to cast a much wider net um, when you're trying to get the word out about something or something like kindergarten registration campaigns or passing a bond. You know, there are lots of, of situations where you truly do need to lean into direct mail in ways that private and independent schools don't. Um, print ads have shown to be largely ineffective, as I mentioned. Um, the school affairs can definitely be word of mouth drivers, but again, I would say under very unique circumstances, which is exactly why we started segmenting this survey after the first year, because we recognize that public schools and private schools are, are existing in very different realities. And so there are some things that might work for the other for some purposes and, and not the other one and vice versa. So the to-do list here, again, funnel-based planning, very effective when you're thinking about engaging prospective families in the right ways at the right time. And that's our area of focus, right? If we're talking about prospective families specifically, it's a lot of the same things are, are, are proven to be very effective. I would say using data, not just to empower you to invest in the channels that work, but to get the buy-in for doing it, really important. Direct mail, as I mentioned, is not evil, but we do really caution people away from buying lists and spraying the masses with messages that are not targeted and don't have clear calls to action. So in a private school environment or even a charter school, that might look like sending a direct mail piece to someone who has already engaged with you in some way, whether they have attended an event or submitted an inquiry, just making sure that you're sending something to people who are already engaged with you, critically important. Then the over-indexing on printed pieces. So again, you want to lean into those things when parents and guardians are most likely to respond. So if you're someone who, say, has a workflow set up internally where someone submits an inquiry form and then there's a trigger to mail them a viewbook, you can probably wait 
on that and save your view books for folks who are more engaged later on in the process and that will save you money. You don't have to print as many. You don't have to mail as many. Um, and you can, you can just coordinate that effort a little bit better. Um, and then lastly, segmentation. So, so important. Understanding which channels and types of content resonate with current versus prospective families will help you to shape your budgets. It'll inform the tactics that you use and also how you allocate your time. So really important there. So next up, we're gonna dig into my favorite section because of course, this is what we do all day here at Niche and that is digital marketing. So similarly to the last section, we're going to look at what schools are doing currently, where they're planning to increase their investments, and again, how that align or aligns or doesn't with what parents told us they respond to. So here we have a high-level view for private and independent schools, and you can see there's a pretty healthy amount of digital marketing tactic adoption happening here, including investment in some areas that parents have shown us they really respond to. So this is really encouraging. SEO, as we've seen, is so important. Um, email comes into play a little bit later in the process, but is definitely a factor, um, especially just from a communication standpoint, right? As you are engaging with families after that initial inquiry or action, you want to make sure that you're nurturing them and, and staying top of mind. And then here when we get into public schools, we see a lot of the same items, which is good, slightly different order, but you'll notice that the numbers are quite a bit smaller. And I, I noticed this too, as I was doing the analysis for this after I did the initial analysis for private and independent schools. So I put them in a side by side and this was a wow moment for me because I wasn't expecting the difference to be this significant. Um, and so knowing the reason why I think it's important to look at this view and it's important to think about market data and not just focus as we have a tendency to on our specific segment or our specific need, it's because we know after surveying our parents and looking at our platform data that parents are looking at multiple different schools across categories. and so. In some markets, charter schools, traditional public schools, magnet schools, um, online schools, Catholic schools, independent schools, you might all be competing for the same families. And so it's important to look at things through this lens to understand, like if I, if I worked in-house at a district, I would go, whoa, you know, Maybe there are some things that we should change when it comes to new family recruitment um, because there are some pretty significant differences with a lot of the data points here. So as we look um, at the plans for additional investment or increased investment over the course of this year, we see some differences again between segments. Starting with private and independent schools, it's really interesting because, you know, when you think about it, private and independent schools are more accustomed to focusing on enrollment. You know, that was their bread and butter for the longest time where it's a little bit newer of a focus in the public school sector. And so these channels reflect that. Um, so we see paid social, often we see that being used for things like open houses and other enrollment events. I see a lot of these types of ads in the feed on Facebook and Instagram. We definitely support that with our partners. SEO, we already talked about the importance of that. And then of course we have paid search. So I would say this is a pretty healthy list, even though 
We found that social media in general can play a role later in the process. Paid social for enrollment purposes, if I were doing that, I would actually focus on retargeting so I could engage families that had already connected with my institution. And then when we come over to public schools, we see that paid social pops up here again. And a lot of the time, very similar, we see these types of ads used for enrollment or teacher recruitment. That's another big one. We see digital display ads pop up, which again, I would incorporate some retargeting so you can connect with a warmer audience, so to speak. And then organic social, which in this case is typically a bit more focused on current families in your broader community. So this isn't a surprise, it makes sense. Um, I do wish that I saw SEO a little higher on the list because even though there's probably a likelihood that, you know, if you're with a district, you're getting a lot of traffic from people who are familiar with your district's name or specific schools within your district, I would still try to make sure that you're focusing on a broader SEO strategy and taking advantage of tools that can engage people who are doing more generic searches, like people who are relocating, for example, and they're doing a broad search in a specific metro area, the teacher who might be looking for a new role. Um, if you're in a choice state, that's even more important. So that's something to definitely think about going into the next budget cycle. And then of course, again, I have to bring it back to what we heard our parents say in our survey, especially as we look at digital marketing tactics, because those were such big drivers in the, in the parent search process. And that's continued to be true year over year. So within the context of this section, it's important um, it, to acknowledge that schools are thinking about SEO. Some schools are thinking about SEO because it's really important. Uh, we see that in multiple areas in the parent survey. We see it in our own data on the platform. Um, I'm sure that you see it when you look at your website analytics, which I hope you are doing regularly. We do have some data about that in the survey. Google reviews are tough because as you probably know, the ability for K-12 schools to get Google reviews to show up on Google is still hit or miss. Um, so that can be a little frustrating. Um, but I think that just underscores the importance of making sure you have current reviews in other places. Um, so, you know, when it comes to online research tools, that is something that parents have clearly told us really resonates. So that is something I would definitely add to the list for next year. And if you're thinking, I've gotten this question, well, it's a niche survey, the data is skewed. Actually, it's not. Um, we did not only survey niche users for this survey. And this actually lines up with quite a bit of broader consumer behavioral data, um, especially with millennials, which is, that is smack dab in the middle of your, your parent audience right now. Um, I pulled a stat from Global Newswire that said that 95% of consumers read product reviews before they choose to purchase something. So the 79% feels pretty right um, within that context. I also want to call out the fact that none of these have to cost you anything. So if your budget is tight or you're even looking at your budget's already set for this year and like, what can I do right now to make a difference? You can claim your niche profile for free. You can set up a Google alert to monitor some of these parent groups um, and online forums. So you're in the loop about what people are saying with you without, about you without having to keep a tab open and, and spend, you know, however many hours on, on one of these forums. But gathering reviews, claiming your profile on niche and other platforms, keeping an eye on the Facebook groups and the forums, those are all things that you can do without spending a dime. 
And then here we have our enrollment drivers again. And the reason why I'm resharing this slide is that I think it's important in this context just so that you can see, again, some places for you to focus on as you're getting into the bottom of the funnel. Because again, as we chop it up, different things make different differences. So your to-do list here, put your dollars where your prospective families are. We don't want you to leave money on the table. I certainly was very conscious of this when I was in-house. And so it's really important to pay attention to the data that's available to you so you know what those channels are, but also maintain your own data. I encourage people all the time to make sure that you're benchmarking against yourself in addition to the industry. Both are important. Reviewing your analytics and budget at least monthly. We did have some data in the survey around how frequently people are doing this. It is not enough. And digital marketing is tricky. The platforms change, pricing changes for ads. There's a lot of fluctuation. So it's really important to make sure that you're staying on top of how the impact of your ads, what they're costing you, where you are in your budget. And if that's something that you need help with, you know, we asked about competencies in various areas in the survey. Digital analytics was something that a lot of folks needed some support with. If you don't have time to upskill in that area, definitely look into outsourcing it so that you can stay on top of that. Reviews matter, spoiler alert. Yes, it's true, keep them current. Par parents really, really lean into those. So you wanna make sure that you are not just updating your reviews on a regular basis, but also keep an eye on them. You know, a lot of these channels have some processes in place to flag things that are egregious. And so, you know, you want to know about those reviews as well. Not just like, okay, we had a, a parent or a student who was angry about something and people are, are entitled to their perspectives. But if they are using, if they're doing name calling, using inappropriate language, things of that nature, you want to make sure that you're flagging the bad stuff too, so that that doesn't get stuck on your profile. I mentioned the importance of using the funnel stage lens to tailor content across channels. So definitely want to do that. And then knowing that digital word on the street, I don't want to drive by the importance of those Facebook parent groups and, and blogs and the like. The Facebook groups in particular are really starting to bubble up as an influencer for parents, especially parents of young children. So if you're at a K to eight, a K to six, um, if you have a preschool program, those are the parents that are really spending a lot of time in those groups. And so that's something that you want to be aware of. So. In the next few minutes, let's see how quickly I can get through this question. So have you seen, oh, there we go, sorry about that. <laughs> have you seen from Justine, schools successfully leverage referral campaigns and word of mouth? So I, yeah, sort of, <laughs> it depends on how you define success. So I would start there, you know, how many families do we want to get from this to call it a success? One common tactic that I have seen is to provide incentives like discounted registration or tuition credits for new families. So for example, if new family A says that returning family B is a referral and they enroll by September 1st, then returning family B gets a $500 tuition credit in the spring, you know, something like that. So from what I understand, it doesn't necessarily bring in huge numbers, but it's worth experimenting with and seeing if that's something that works for you. Next question from Tracy. I'd love to know how to measure success with examples of specific metrics that can be used beyond views and clicks. 
how does school marketing move the needle for a school district? That's a great question. And yes, success absolutely goes beyond viewers and clicks, no matter what kind of school you work for. For this one, it really depends on your goals. Are your goals more related to things like website traffic growth or social media you know, engagement, increased parent engagement with email communications? Are you focused more on enrollment? Are you focused more on specific funnel stages? You know, are you just trying to drive interest in a key entry point? Those are all questions that I would ask first because that informs what your KPIs are. Um, this could actually be an entirely separate webinar, so maybe we'll do that in the future. But I do have a blog post that I wrote about digital marketing KPIs last year that I'll link to in the resources for the webinar recording, and that can help you uncover some additional things to think about by channel beyond the, the clicks and the views. And this last one before we get to a few minutes of live questions is from Karina. And it's less of a question and more of a statement, but I'm still gonna cover it. Tuition pricing in light of inflation slash economic strain in some catchment areas. And so I wanna cover this because it, it is important. We saw this in our parent survey. There does appear to be some increased price sensitivity among parents when, when it comes to tuition for schools that charge it. And so, there's also a growing trend um, where families with higher incomes are seeking financial aid. So this is an industry-wide challenge that also involves families at different income thresholds that weren't as much of an issue in the past. The downside is that not many people have really figured this out yet. So um, if you go back to our enrollment priorities, you'll see that we did have 4% of schools that said they're thinking about a tuition reset for the next year. But not everyone can do that. And there are definitely some risks involved in taking that approach. There's some boarding schools that have done it um, to some success. But again, that's not something that everyone can do. So if that is not an option that's available to you, I think it's worth having a really candid internal discussion at the leadership level um, and with your board about your long-term tuition strategy whether or not you need to reset your expectations around the profile for a full pay family, which honestly I think a lot of schools probably do, and ask your current families. If you do an annual parent survey, which you should, if, you're no, if you don't, um, ask about sentiment around tuition increases. Make sure you're benchmarking against other schools in your area that charge tuition. That's something you should always be doing to see where you fall. And also use your own anecdotal data. You know, if you're getting increasing pushback around tuition increase time from families um, when you announce them, or you're seeing an increase in current families that are asking for aid, you know, families asking for aid who haven't in the past, people who are experiencing hardship, making tuition payments, that's data. And that can help you to paint a fuller picture of what you're actually up against. Okay, so now I'm gonna hop over to questions. What types of numbers had a digital marketing comms expert on their team? This is from Beth. So Beth, it, I don't have that number offhand, but in the survey, depending on which segment you're in, we did ask a question about who was responsible for marketing and if you had a dedicated office. Um, or marketing staff member, so you can grab that percentage from the survey write-up. 
This next one is what types of community partnerships seem to be the strongest in supporting independent school enrollment slash marketing? So this is from Liz. Thank you, Liz, for that question. I think it really does depend. And I would say as a first step, the biggest thing to do if you're not doing this already is to start. So there are a lot of independent schools that just sort of exist, but they don't engage with their communities. And that's a really big difference between independent schools and their local public schools. You know, the public schools inherently have that community connection where independent schools don't. And so depending on your location, there are a variety of things that you can do. When I think about community partnerships, it could be anything from, you know, if you have a lower school, partnering with a library to do story times is something that's very common. Um, hosting an event on campus that's open to the public, you know, maybe it's a play date or something of that nature. Um, sponsoring races, there's all sorts of things that people can do, although I really encourage schools to align with activities and community groups that align with your mission and your brand, um, because I think that's an important part of reinforcing it. The biggest thing is to, to look through that lens and also think about what is it that you're trying to achieve. You know, it's hard to tie those partnerships directly to enrollment, but if you're looking to raise awareness of who you are and what you're about, there was one school that I, I talked to once where they had their acapella group do free concerts um, in the community. So there are a lot of really cool and creative things that you can do just to engage with your broader community. Um, I think sometimes private and independent schools can see as kind of, you know, being over here, you know, while <laughs> everybody else is over here. And it's such an important part of engaging with the community, you know, taking down some of those unintentional barriers and just demonstrating your school's humanity. Uh, yes, this is a great point from Stephen. Tuition resets can be great, but it does cut the financial aid budget. Yeah, and that's definitely one of many considerations that, that I would factor in if a tuition reset is something you're considering. Hey, we are at time, but I want to see if we have any more questions before we wrap. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us. As I mentioned, this is being recorded for anyone who joins late. You'll be getting that recording in your inbox tomorrow, so watch for that. And um, I look forward to seeing you in the spring. Save the date for April 18th. We'll be doing our PK-12 virtual summit. We've already got it on the calendar. Um, and otherwise, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and holiday season.